Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Chip Patterson filling in for DG here on a Monday. Hope your sports weekend went well. My Monday is already exquisite because I know I'm going to get to talk ball with Michael Felder. So we're not going to waste any more time. Let's go right out to Michael Felder, college football analyst for Stadium. Watch Stadium.com. Follow him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Um, life, like, you know, we've got moves to Chicago. We've got big life changes. We've got the middle of the football season. Felder, how's your head? How's your soul? How are we feeling right now? Man, it's always good to talk to you, brother. You know that. Um, life is good, man. It's a little chilly in Chicago, but I'll take it over 85 degrees riding on the bus with a bunch of filthy people. <laughs> with your mask on to keep all the yeah. uh, to keep all the all the extra sneezes and booger picking away. Um, all right. Oh yeah. So let's let's start with just sort of the big picture and the big landscape of college football because you know the we were discussing previously that these these resumes are going to be fluid and what looks like a quality win may not be a quality win. One of the things that always count on from you is from your experience and from your eyes is you, you can definitely draw a line between, you know, what is quality play and what's probably some, some misleading results. So how many teams do you think are occupying the top tier of college football where you can say that there, like that is a good championship quality team? I think realistically right now, I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about obviously Alabama. We're talking right. about Notre Dame. We're talking about Clemson. Uh, as long as Trevor Lawrence continues to progress as a football player, uh, I think we're talking about Ohio State, although I'm a little shaky on them because of their lack of run game and this precipitous drop they've had in the ability to run the football and the commitment to run the football, which I'm sure you and I will get into in a little bit. And I'm going to be honest. I think LSU is an interesting one because they have to play out. If they didn't have to play Alabama, LSU would be in that discussion as well. And I'm still going to put Oklahoma into that group because of every single team in the country. If obviously the team you don't want to play is Alabama, the second team you don't want to play is Oklahoma. And that's, and isn't there something looking at Oklahoma uh, as we have to play this out in the big 12, knowing that the big 12 championship game is going to be a rematch of some sorts. I don't, I don't know if Texas or whoever would be able to beat Oklahoma twice, especially after Lincoln Riley gets one look at you and then he gets to unleash Kyler a second time. Yeah, like here's the thing. They scored four they did score forty five points. And right. they did it while not really having the football for much of the game at all. Like this team is still dangerous. And I think because of the way that they play, you don't want to play them a second time and you don't want to play them really the first time because you know that they're going to put undue stress on your offense. And I don't care if you're Urban Meyer or you're Nick Saban or you're Dabo Swinney, certainly if you're Brian Kelly, you don't want the pressure to have to score every time you have the ball on your football team. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers. That's been a player who, you know, the – I, I feel like on the spectrum of, oh, my gosh, Trevor Lawrence is a national championship ca caliber quarterback to, you know, on the other end, I, I kind of feel like you're maybe about 25% of the way there. I've heard you express yeah. some of your reservations regarding Lawrence that go back to studying him, rating him on the recruiting trail. Yeah. What, have, what have you seen so far uh, in terms of where he is on that arch to being able to be a championship caliber quarterback? I think there's it's a kind of a, a marriage between him and Clemson where I want Clemson to give – don't – listen, if you want to win a national championship with a true freshman quarterback, you can't treat him like a baby. Mm. And we're seeing them spoon-feed him. And, oh, listen, I get it. you got to get guys in rhythm. you got to do rhythm throws. you got to work light. you got to work – got to do some quick work. But 
the end of the day, when you have Justin Ross, who's a monster, when you have T. Higgins, when you have Amari Rogers, when you have all these guys, when you have Hunter Renfro, when you have all these guys, you have to give them. You have to serve those wide receivers. And 175 yards passing is not serving all those wide receivers. So you got to get the job done. I know you got to balance it out with Travis Etienne, who's an absolute monster. If he could get if he could get it right in pass pro, he might be able to get 20 touches in a football game. So <laughs> I think that we're I think what we're dealing with from a from a from a production standpoint with Lawrence, from a play calling standpoint with Lawrence, is they're still treating him with kid gloves. And at some point, those gloves have to come off. As we saw in the national championship game with Tua, you take the gloves off if you want to win big games. And I just don't know that you can trust or trust and believe in a guy who's not being asked to do those things because it's easier to win playing a little bit more conservative. So I hope they give they put more on his plate so that he can stand up, show out, and develop some confidence in himself to push the ball down the field vertically, to make decisions uh, in, in big spots instead of making those decisions for him. How do you uh, how do you look at that matchup against NC State this weekend, uh, especially going up against an NC State defense? Like I think Jermaine Pratt's really impressed me, and I think that defense yeah. as a whole has kind of answered the question about whether or not Dave Doran and Dave Huxtable have some good development going, being able to replace all those dudes and still have a, a pretty salty defensive side of the ball. I think defensively uh, they have gotten the job done. I don't know that from a secondary standpoint they can stand up to those guys we just mentioned for Clemson from a wide, on the wide receiver point. But I do think that, uh, for me, I look at their offense. And we talked about it with Oklahoma being able to score. I think with, from a Clemson standpoint, this Clemson team, is, is they're going to score the football. They're going to find ways to, to challenge you. They're going to find ways to, to, to put the pressure on you to answer them. And I love Ryan Finley. For my money, I think Ryan Finley is QB1 um, at this stage in the season. I think I haven't been as impressed by Herbert. I haven't been as impressed by Locke. I haven't been as impressed, certainly not by Will Greer. Uh, it's a shame we didn't get that matchup, obviously. Uh, so I'm looking at this, and I think that you, we've, we have to get Ricky Person Jr. going. Oh, uh, yeah. Get him going. I mean, he is he's the key to this offense. Get Ricky Person Jr. going, and then now we've got Finley, and this is the sweetest thing in all of college football uh, from an offensive standpoint, is now you have Finley working the tight play action to the slant, to the scene you have him working that tight play action and nobody does it better than him that's okay so what what are some of those i i maybe have been slow to to give ryan finley the deserved credit because i've been so enamored by that wide receiver room that george mcdonald's put together yeah. with Harmon and myers and amizzy like they're nasty what what do you see yep. from finley that you think has has you put him in that qb1 spot from the nfl draft perspective the control that he has over the football and i think that there's He's made two throws to me that are record book throws, throws that go um, just they, they belong on a highlight tape where there's a throw against James Madison where he is in the pocket, fades left, roll, starts to fade left, rolls right, and he makes he delivers a strike on a line to a covered receiver, but he puts it out in front so the DB connect, cannot get to it, puts it on him, perfect throw. Another throw um, in, not, in another, yeah, last week's game, where he, not this past week, obviously they didn't play, but last week's game, where he is able to evade the rush. He hits Harmon standing still on the sideline, and he directs traffic. He's running, directs traffic, points to him, and then delivers a strike on the run, on the move. And that's not even getting into the tight, the play-action work that he does, where he is letting a linebacker clear and then filling in a gap behind the linebacker, making tight window throws at the goal line, which have been pretty, pretty exciting. So I think that he is 
he's showing and proving. I think that a lot of folks that just watch stats aren't seeing him put up the numbers that some of the other quarterbacks are putting up. But I think at the end of the day, he is uh, doing the work. We're talking to Michael Felder of Stadium, watchstadium.com, at In the Bleachers on Twitter. Um, the, the stats are kind of ridiculous for Dwayne Haskins right now. And there's, yeah. there is a camp that's like, oh, my gosh, you know, think, look at this. We don't have JT Barrett anymore. We've got this, uh, this very productive passing game. But you, you brought it back to when you've got just 6'5", 320, like across the board, Michael Jordan playing well, and the rest of that Ohio State offensive line. Like, why do you think they haven't been able to get J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber going with a productive run game as well? I don't think, I don't think they're committed to it. Wow. And I, I don't think they're committed. To, like, listen, let, let me, I'm going to read you the numbers. 7.1, 5.6, 4.3, 3.4, excuse me, 3.9, 3.2, 3.2, 2.8. That's their yards per carry. As we get into the season, they're not committed to it. If we're watching a football game and Ohio State's up by a touchdown with seven minutes to go and they are throwing the ball all around because they can't run it to get first down to put the game away, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a real problem. And to ignore it because Haskins threw for over 400 yards. Yeah, because he had to, mm. because you can't run. And that's the thing that can come back and bite you in the behind when you get into a ball game against Alabama, when you get into a ball game. Uh, if, I mean, at this point, when Michigan State's got a pulse now, baby. Antonio's going to eat this up. He loves it. Yeah, he's he is going. He loves it. Yeah, he's going to get them up. There's no way that Michigan State's defense is going to be unprepared for the the quick screen game that yeah. they've been trying to use to make up for that lack of well, run production. Chip, that's the other thing. That's the other part of it all, right? It's not like we're seeing Haskins only throw the ball vertically and all of his passing yards come through the air. We're seeing him throw screens. Like, that's not – what is that? Oh, and uh, you mean the deceptive touchdown total from all the fly sweeps where he's just yes. throwing the little shovel pass? Yeah. Yep. Nah, miss me with that. Um, all right, yep. before we get you out of here, LSU, I uh, was down in Baton Rouge over the weekend. I was unbelievably impressed with yep. Dave Aranda's adjustment after Georgia yep. was able to get it rolling early in the game. Their DBs are so sick. Like, like Felder, talk, Dude, me, yep. talk me out of just falling back into, like, this 2010-2011 mindset with this LSU team. Um, we'll never talk you out of it. <laughs> they <there>. are remarkable. <laughs> yeah. um, that was the greatest performance. Like, we haven't seen a defensive back performance like what they were able to do to Georgia since probably, geez, we're going to, we're talking Darquez Denard and like Trey Wayne's, like Michigan State no fly zone. Right. Like, they were amazing. These so that would be Rich, Rich Homie Quan, that would be Rich Homie Quan era, right? Like 2014? Yes. We're, yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're Rich Homie Quaning it right now. Like, <laughs> these guys legit, literally, they played man, they played man coverage for almost the entire first half. And I'm sorry, but the one thing I'm most unimpressed by with Georgia is how average their wide receivers look. Mm. Average. They could not get separation. All this talk about take from out, put fields in. Does fields run routes and he's able to get separation? Oh, he doesn't? So that doesn't change anything. Nothing's different with him in the game from a wide receiver standpoint because these guys can't get open. You can't get open. You can't find space. You can't create an opportunity for your quarterback to get you the football. I don't care if you're Peyton Manning out there. At the end of the day, if you're covered, you're covered. And he's taking a risk by throwing that football. And then what they did in the second half was beautiful. They played man on first and second downs. And then on third downs, they showed man with pressure. And then they bailed into eight-man coverage, eight-man zone, and let from 
look, look, they let Brom think, to, oh, I have to throw the hot route. And then he was like, oh, I can't throw the hot route. They're sitting right there on the slant. <laughs> They're sitting right there on the out. They're sitting right there on the circle. They're sitting on the, on the spacer. I have to, oh, now I'm sacked. Now I'm it was sacked, beautiful yeah. football. It was, a gr- it was a great job by them. And I, I hope people recognize that. And I don't, like, I don't, we're not going to dump on Fromm. Because what Fromm did was, what Will Greer did was, that, that was, they, they didn't have the tools to react to what a defense was able to do. And that's not, to me, that's not on them. That's on their coach. That's on Chaney. That's on Holgerson. Like, the fact that, they didn't run crossing routes. The fact they didn't work any scissors routes, the fact they didn't work any rub routes, that's on your coaching staff. They call the plays. And they didn't do any of those things, which to me proves that we need to start talking about how bad Cheney did in that game, not how Fromm was ineffective. Mm. And we need to talk about how bad Horgelson was in that game for an Iowa State team that all they did was play straight zone and then bring a couple of zone dogs. And, and Will Greer held the ball for about 45 seconds and took a million sacks. Like a million sacks, for real. I mean, they got like it was bullied. That, like, and here's the thing. There's some dumb AP voter who re, all, all they do is read stat lines, and they're like, well, he was 11 for 13. Oh, yeah? Think <laughs> about all those sacks he took, buddy. And think about the boneheaded, one of the dumbest plays I've seen where he steps out of bounds and tries to throw the football away. Like, let's do, like, come on. He was not good. He wasn't sharp. But his coach didn't help him out at all. What's your read on uh, Georgia off this week, back in action in the cocktail party game against Florida? Do you think that Georgia is going to be able to get right in time to, if they show up in the SEC championship game in Atlanta, by the way, SEC East wide open right now. Do you yes. think that Georgia is going to be able to be more competitive? Because I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, I kind of feel like I came out of the weekend and of all the teams in college football, my biggest adjustment was realizing that Georgia is a work in progress almost to the point where I don't think they can be a championship caliber team by the end of the year. I 100% agree with you. I think that they will be competitive against Florida. I don't think Florida's quite there yet. I mean, let's not pretend like Felipe Franks is some world beater. So, um, we, I think for Georgia, this is going to be a great game against Florida. It's going to be highly competitive. I don't think Florida's secondary is as good as LSU's. And for that reason, I think that Georgia's wide receivers will be able to make some plays. Um, speaking of Georgia's wide receivers, where is Demetrius Robertson? He's Stepping the only guy they have that can get himself open, and he doesn't have a single pass caught. So he, he either has a problem learning the offense or they just forget that he exists. So I, I think from a Georgia standpoint, you go back to the drawing board, you figure out, Who are our playmakers? Who are the guys that we can trust? And how can we get them open? Because we have to get the ball in their hands. And also, maybe just keep running out of 11 personnel with the tight end flexed out when the defense is in nickel package because you have a numbers advantage. Isaac Nott is a good – Isaac Nott is their best receiving option right now. Probably. I think I 100% agree because he's a massive mismatch. He's so fast and he's so big. You cannot – there aren't a lot of people in the country that can cover him. He gave Grant Delpit some problems and they didn't go back to him. They didn't consistently go to him. And that, to me, again, speaks to coaching. Mm. He is Michael Felder. You can follow him on Twitter, at In the Bleachers. You can watch him, watchstadium.com. Michael, thank you so much for taking some time with us. You're the absolute best, and uh, we'll be sure to catch up soon. Dude, it's always great talking to you. Take it easy, Chipper.